Alright, broadcast. Hit record. Oh my god. Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. just realized something i have to plug in one more plug and there we are okay welcome to the nick at night show folks we are truly international we have um, people online from as far away as romania <coughs> excuse me <coughs> now what i find remarkable with that obviously that's probably somebody who's an expat staying in touch with what's going on at home or maybe I'm so waxing eloquent that even the people in Romania want to listen in to the Nick at Night show. I'm betting it's probably the first part. Anyway, um, okay, somebody, air drummer, go, Nick. Yeah, 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 I know. I get caught up in this show. Um, audio should be fixed. I just remembered I had one more plug to plug in, so you should be able to hear me fine. Right? Everybody out there, nod yes and give me a little thumbs up or something. Uh, let me know that the audio is working because we just tested this and it worked out just fine. So, all right. Now, there's all kinds of things I want to get into on the show tonight. First of all, the numbers are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. So if you want to join us, if you want to jump in on the conversation, please feel free. Um, now the way we have... An, um, now the way, oh, you know what? That's probably what it is. Gotta turn the volume up. Hang on a minute. Let's try that. Okay, that should help solve the problem. Okay, uh, that's plugged in. That's plugged in. I think we're good to go. All right, let me just do a little sound check. Can everybody hear me? Before I get rolling too much, I have all kinds of people joining. We just got to make sure they can hear. Audio volume up, please. I thought I just did that. All right, well, we'll jack it again. Okay, there. Now it's all the way up, uh, which means my mic's not muted. Uh, so that should be okay. Can I? Okay. Sound is very low. Hmm. Always these little technical issues. Let me trace this back to here. I don't see anything that's different. Okay. Turn that up a little bit. Turn that up a little bit. Okay, can you hear me now? Is that better? Very faint. Okay. Um, hmm. Why is that not working? Let me 
Check over here. No, that's uh, the one I want. It should. We just did this. It worked just fine. I didn't change anything. Okay, so nobody can hear me. Is that it? Very faint. Hmm. All right, so. <sighs> Sound still. Down. Oh. Just a little. I guess you'll have to yell. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, that'll work. <laughs> okay, let me try one more thing. Why? Let me open the audio mixer. Open volume mixer. Everything is up through the roof. That should be good. Okay. Uh, okay. That works. Okay. So was that because I yelled? <laughs> All right. Louder. I. <laughs> oh man. Uh, let's see. I'm. I don't know where else to go to turn it up. Uh, that's all the way up. Volume over here is all the way up. Hmm. Boom. Boom. Okay. Well, I'm just gonna have to yell. I guess my little bows are cranked to ten. Yepper. No, not good. What is going on? All right. Let me try a quick unplug and replug, and we'll try that and see if that works. Okay. Now you can't hear me because I just unplugged it. So plug that in. Pull that out. Uh, your online voice, your online volume is good. Facebook, not so much. Okay. I just unplugged and replugged. Did that make a difference? Can you hear me now? Anybody out there? Can you hear me any better? Because the online's working fine. Hi, cuz can hardly hear you. Good for a second. Hmm. So if I pull this, can Facebook hear me now? It was good for a second. So I'm trying something new here or different and see if I can get that to work because I think that cuts out the online side. Um, all right. Keep talking to me, folks. Oops, yes was... Yes. Okay, so when I pulled that out, you're telling me that it's, it's working now. So when I plug that in, this is the part I don't get. Okay, now you're saying I can't... He okay. Woohoo, loud again. You are clear now. Okay. So I, I just plugged in something else. Uh, doom, doom. Let me take this one and try that. How's that? Does that work any better? Good, good, nope. Gone again, gone, gone. Okay, I know what the problem is, and I don't understand why it's doing that. Um... I got the wrong switch anyway. That one's got to go down. This one's got to go up. Maybe a little bit up on that one. All right. So, no, no, nothing yet. No, don't change the gain. Okay, Mike, I won't. So, what should I change? All right. I'm going to. Okay. If I pull this, uh, for those of you who are online, I'm going to pull this. Can you still hear me? For those of you who are online. Now, see, this is why I did this test before, and everything worked fine. I had everything plugged in the way it was, and I'm using the wrong mouse. That's why I can't get anywhere. Okay. 
Okay. No, don't change the gain. Okay, I didn't change the gain. Both were working, but back to online. But back to online, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Joined, yes. I can hear beautifully. Okay. All right. We're going to go with that. So I'm hoping that the people online can hear me. Uh, I just don't know what, what, how, why that screwed everything up because it worked before. See. All right. With that said, let's get the show rolling. I'm done messing around. Uh, there's too much stuff on the table to waste time trying to figure out issues I should have had figured out before. Thought I did, and obviously I don't. Okay. Um, I think what I want to do, uh, I'm going to start. Let me start uh, if I can find the right spot. I had a question I posted on Facebook. Oh, yes, here it is. Now, the question on Facebook is this, and I'll just read this to you. Let me put my eyeballs on. Uh, there we go. Because I think it's it's coming to a point where this has to be considered. So I'm going to read this to you the way I wrote it, and uh, then I'm going to be looking for some feedback on whether or not you think this is a good idea. I know it's turned into a bit of a conversation on uh, Facebook, uh, but I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. And my question is this. Is it time to partition off Ontario into several smaller provinces? Let's set aside the logistics of how it would work and be accomplished from a constitutional point of view for a moment and ask ourselves some basic questions. Where would the boundaries be? What about capitals? How would you deal with sharing the provincial debt? What about policing? Would we continue to use the OPP or would, we, would each new province be required to field its own police force? There are trade and infrastructure issues such as roads and bridges, airports and inland ports to consider. Many of these are federal, but what about trans-provincial crossings like in areas like Ottawa Hull, for an example? How would we decide who gets how much of the wealth created by the resources of the North and access to them for the purposes of manufacturing and so on? It's not an easy task and will require years to complete if we ever go down that road. It's not as simple as just drawing new lines on a map, so I would be very interested in hearing what you have to say on this issue. I'm pretty sure no one has all the answers, least of all me. So that's why well, I want to float that there past you and see what you had to say. Um, uh, is Chord 2 into Mic 2 or TS or Chord 2? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't Mike, it should work. I had it working earlier. That's the part that bugs me. So, uh, let's see. Both good now, except the time lapse. Well, I can't do anything about that. So, my question is, do you think it's time to break Ontario up into, I would suggest probably four new geographic provinces? You could take, if you think about it, you take the GTA. That's going to be its own, let's call it a city-state for the lack of a better term. There's somewhere, it depends on where you draw the line, somewhere between three and five million people there. And Prince Edward Island can be a province with 170,000 people, surely to God, um, on uh, the GTA, which would still be the second largest uh, demographic in the country, okay, from a provincial population point of view. So I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying that that shouldn't happen. Um, I'm just wondering about, we are so divergent in the way that we view the world. This is answering Beverly's question. So why would you ever even consider breaking up Ontario? It's not like I'm breaking up the country, okay? I'm not, we, we've done this before. Like, look at what used to be the Northwest Territories. is now half its size, and you have a whole new territory up there called none of it. So we have done this kind of thing before. Uh, take Quebec as an example. It isn't, it isn't the same as the day it came into Confederation. Ontario isn't for that matter either. 
So it's not that boundaries can't change. The question is, when is the right time to change it? And that's what I'm curious about finding out from you folks. What do you think about the idea, oh, we're not building a wall around Toronto. No, Don, I'm sorry, we're not going to do that. As tempting as that idea is sometimes. But if you take, let, let's say you take Toronto, and you set it aside as its own, um, we'll call it a province, city, state, province, whatever you want to call it, the province of the GTA, all right? So now you've got the Golden Horseshoe set aside as its own area. You've got southern Ontario, let's say from, uh, I'm just going to throw it out, Talbotville down, okay, or between Kitchener-Waterloo, if you want to make that break somewhere in there. And everything south of that would be its own province. Then you go north of Toronto, and you'd break it into northwestern and northeastern Ontario, okay? Because northeastern Ontario is different than northwestern Ontario, but now you run into a problem with the idea of, let's not forget, that most of the resources in Ontario, uh, when it comes to the natural resources, the mining and all those kinds of things, lumber and, and all that stuff, comes from uh, the northwest of the province. So you have to, in fairness to all those areas in the province who traditionally had access to that stuff, uh, I don't know how you'd do it, but you'd have to have something, some kind of... Uh, something in place in order to make it possible for us to have, um, I want to call it equal access, or some kind of mechanism in place to make sure that all the regions of, of Ontario um, have access to the natural wealth the province has, the province as we know it now has. It's kind of like if you look overseas at Poland, and we'll take that as an example, they have, they're a landlocked country, except they have the port of Gdansk, okay? And that is on a narrow corridor carved out after World War, I believe it was after World War II. Um, but they have this uh, long land bridge that sticks out from Poland all the way to the, I think it's the Blacks, no, the Baltic, to the Baltic. My geography in that area is a little weak. But the point is they have that one opening to the sea that they can conduct their trade and that's, that's where their naval base is and things like that. So it's an important element of, their, of them being a separate country. Now, we're not talking about countries here. And maybe it's something as simple as setting up, because the north, let, let's look at this, and I'm only thinking out loud here. Um, I'm just saying that if you were to say, okay, the GTA has the advantage of a huge tax base, it already has the infrastructure that a lot of the rest of the province simply doesn't have. It's got its own harbor. It's got a couple airports. It's got rail. It's got, you know, a, a good base for manufacturing, which is as badly maligned as that segment is. Uh, if you're going to put a plant anywhere in Ontario, you're going to put it down there in the GTA, especially if you can get control over the cost of energy and so on. So they have the advantages that the people in the north don't. So the people in the north, and I'm thinking of the northwest now, the Ring of Fire and that kind of stuff, would be able to trade with the GTA, just like interprovincial trade. Okay, and we could, I'm just, and maybe this won't work at all. I don't know, but I'm just thinking about this. Then we swing over to the northeast. Okay, a lot of that's agricultural. A lot of that is the St. Lawrence Seaway. A lot of that is, you know, you have. Um, um, uh, the city of Ottawa plays a huge role in the economy of eastern Ontario because it's a, the government town. It's the capital of the country. I'm not suggesting that would change. 
Okay, but what I am saying is by allowing each area to have its own, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, ability to legislate for itself, okay, its own laws and, 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 uh, and be a province unto itself. Then if Toronto wants to put, you know, a double tax on gas or if they want to mess with the housing market, they can do that. Because what happens in Toronto is not the same thing that happens in Godrich. Or it's not the same thing that happens in, in um, uh, Embrun, okay? The markets are completely different. And <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it's one of the great problems with central planning is because if you look at, let's take Russia to make the extreme example, okay? And I'm not, I'm not saying we're going to become communists. I'm just using what's wrong, this to demonstrate what's wrong with central planning. Central planning works if you have a tiny little community and everybody uh, has the same basic needs uh, as their neighbor does, then you can do you can have central planning because you're you're really um, you know dealing with a very small geographic area. Everybody has the same uh, needs, and the, the everything from the climate to the geography is pretty much the same. There's an island the French have uh, called oh what the heck? We had a working student from there this year, and I can't think of who it was. What the name of the island? Let's call it Paradise Island for the lack of better terms. And it's very communistic in nature. The town council, most of them are communists. And it's not, it, it's not that in that particular setting it almost works because the, the island is so small and the climate is the same. Everybody needs the same kind of things. So central planning in that scenario might work. But if you go to Russia and you have people in Moscow trying to tell the people over in Kamchatka you know, what they need to get through the winter, it's or the winter or whatever they're, you know, you've got 12 time zones between the two. It's just, it becomes unmanageable. And this is part of the problem with this kind of thing. So if we were to break the province down into three or four different pieces, then you could say, all right, here we are. We've got this situation. Uh, now eastern Ontario can look after itself because it is more agrarian-based. The northwest can look after itself because it's more resource-based. Southern Ontario, which is also very heavily agricultural, but has a good presence, you know, a, a bit of a better balance in their economy because they have manufacturing too. There's a lot of car plants, or used to be, a lot of car plants down there. You've got a lot of, um, uh, there's some tourism. Well, tourism is pretty much scattered across the province. But, you know, they have their own unique kind of, They have a, their, their climate is different than it is. Like in Leamington, the climate is completely different than it is up here in Killaloo, I can tell you that much. Okay, so... There's a whole bunch of different concerns uh, as you move around the province. So how will it happen constitutionally? I don't know. I am not a constitutional lawyer. But it seems to me that at this point in our, in our history, it's time. It's, you know, look at it this way. If you have children, okay, for the first while that you're a family, let's say for the first 20 years, you might have four kids, okay? Now, comes a time when they have to step out on their own, okay? And they have to start their own life. They're still your children, but they, they want to go and start their own lives. Wouldn't you, couldn't you look at the, the areas of the province in the same sense that these areas that used to be governed from uh, Toronto have now matured to the point where they can look after their own affairs and should? It just, to me, that just makes so much sense. Maybe that's not a perfect analogy, but it's the best one I can come up with. Um, uh, let's see. Well, 
Darcy makes a comment here on Facebook. She says, decentralizing Ontario will materialize only after the monetary collapse. It takes a serious crisis to change the geopolitical environment. Well, Darcy, I hope there's no economic collapse because the kind of mess that would make and the kind of pain that people would go through would just, I, I don't think we understand how serious that would be. You want to get a glimpse of what it would look like? Look at Venezuela. They have an economic collapse. They are, you know, uh, I, I don't want to see that happen. I think we could probably, I'd like to see this happen before we got to that stage. I'm not necessarily saying you're wrong, but I am saying I hope that's not how this goes. Okay. Uh, no, no, uh, Marin, I wasn't talking about St. Pierre and This is on the far side of Africa. This is in the Pacific Ocean. Although you probably could make the same, dis you could probably have the same discussion about Saint Pierre Miquelon in the Gulf of Saint Lawrence as well, dealing with uh, French islands. Did you ever wonder why they're there? Why does French, why do the French have two tiny little islands in the Gulf of Saint Lawrence? If you don't know the history, it's because of the Battle of the Plains of Abraham and the treaty that got signed after it. The French had to make a decision: were they going to try to keep their holdings in North America? and give up their spice islands in the Caribbean? Or were they going to cede the ter territory after the defeat of Quebec to the British? Well, guess which way they went. They decided they were going to keep their islands in the Caribbean, and they all the, the only reason that St. Pierre and Miquelon were there was because the French wanted access to the Grand Banks. They were the world's richest fishing grounds, and had been for centuries, and still are. So that's why, just, just a little, when I saw that, I thought that, that, that reminded me of the story of behind St. Pierre Miquelon. Uh, I think they actually still have an, uh, 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 I don't know if it's a replica. I think it's an actual real guillotine in one of the museums on St. Pierre Miquelon. I don't know that it's ever been ever used. It's certainly not used today. But because my wife and I were thinking about going to St. Pierre Miquelon just as tourists, just to go and check the place out. I wanted to, well, my excuse was I wanted to go fishing in, Saint, in Newfoundland, and you have to go to Newfoundland to get to St. Pierre Miquelon. So I was willing to make that trade, and probably will do that someday. But um, when we were looking at the history of the place and looking at uh, the different tourist things you can do on the island, one of them was this museum, which contains a working, a functional guillotine. So I thought it was kind of cool, uh, if you're into that kind of morbid thing. Uh, anyway, so I just thought I'd, I'd float that idea out to start the show, find out where your heads are at with that, if you're interested uh, in talking about that, you can certainly call me at 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. Let me know what you think. We can have a, a conversation about it. If you want to make comments on Facebook Live, you can. You can send me an email to nick at latenightcouncil.com. I'll, I'll check my mail once in a while to make sure I'm not missing anybody that way. But um, this works best when we communicate. All right, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll, be, we'll have more right after this on the Nick at Night Show. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist. 613-835-2600. Ron. 
Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. That song is called Been Caught Stealing. I have no idea who does it, but I think it's kind of cute. It's fun to play once in a while, so I use it as bumper music. All right, let's bring that to a halt. There we go, and I can turn the iPad back up so the next time I play it, it's all good to go. Okay, now, today was a bit of a historic day, and it doesn't matter how you look at it, whether it's historically good or historically bad. But the thing, the comment I made when I posted this story on Facebook was, this is why people get so disgusted with politics. And I'm referring to the fact that Premier Kathleen Wynne uh, testified today in a corruption trial. Now, I don't remember either reading about or hearing about any other Premier doing that. And during the, her testimony, she did a lot of things. She said a lot of things, but the one thing she didn't do was own it. She didn't say, oh, this is all my fault. She never took any responsibility. Uh, let's see. Uh, one of the th- Here's a, couple of, a quote out of, the, out of her testimony talking about this uh, guy she was trying to uh, parachute into the riding and uh, bribe the other guy out of it. Um, let's see. There are many ways to be involved in the Liberal family, Wynne said, but all of those jobs and positions would still involve Olivier going through an application process of some sort. Yeah, sure. Four days later, okay, Wynne described the December 11, 2014 phone call with Olivier as circular and awkward. He was not forthcoming. <laughs> no kidding. You know, this kind of stuff is enough. Rather than just the days are gone, when politicians used to say, or when the rule of rule of the day was, a minister would stand down from his office, not because there was a scandal, but because there was the appearance of one. What is more scandalous than bribery? You see, if there was any honor and integrity in this, then Kathleen Wynne would have demanded that her minister stand down. I'm not saying he should get fired. I'm not saying he should be thrown out of the out of the government. He, need, he needs to have his day in court, okay, just like anybody else. Bribery is a serious offense. So we'll give him his day in court, but he should not be operating as a minister under these conditions. He should. You sh- the premier never should have had to say a word. He should have laid a letter to that effect on her desk as soon as this thing broke. 
and said, I am relieving myself for accusing myself of all responsibility. As far as my ministerial duties are concerned, I'm going to go to the press. I'm going to say the same thing, and I will stand aside until this is resolved. And I'm, if, if I'm you know, found innocent, great. If he wants to say he's innocent, fantastic. That's great. Uh, he's certainly free to do that. If he's found innocent, fine, he can step back in as minister. If he's found guilty, let the chips fall where they may. That's how you maintain integrity. That's how people maintain faith in their government. There's none of that in this. This is all keeping your pants up around your belly button. That's what this is. Because nobody wants to say, you know what, I blew it. I blew it. Now, it's not so much... It's the same old story. It's not the lie that gets you in trouble or the sin if you want. It's the lying to cover it up. It's the, the harder you fight to try to say, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, when everything's pointing at you, that makes people suspicious. Even if you're right, if it's nothing but circumstantial evidence that suggests you're the guilty party and you know in your heart you're not, then you have every right to say it's not me, but you also have an obligation to the people who put you in office to stand aside until this is sorted out by the courts. So to me, it, it yes, it matters what the outcome is, but the damage is already done. We already have a situation where we have people um, in high office now sitting in front of a judge explaining themselves about a bribery charge. And offering people appointments to cabinet, offering people positions on boards or, or you know, different um, appointments, just as the piece, whatever it is that the premier can offer to somebody, that sounds a lot like bribery to me. So it's just one of these things that how, how do they do this and expect people to continue to believe? Well, if she says, if that, if Kathleen says, well, when, says one more time, the people of Ontario want... She doesn't know what her caucus wants, never mind what the people of Ontario want. I am sick to death of it. I am absolutely sick. <sighs> All right. Yes, it should go before a jury, not a judge. I agree with you, Linda. But I'm not the one making that call. So we have to live with what it is. Um, let's hope. You know what? I think whether, you know, it almost doesn't matter now how this turns out. And the reason is because the political damage, the court of public opinion, is where this matters. And no matter how, what kind of government you are, sooner or later, people get tired of you. And you start making mistakes, and scandals pile up, and before long, you go down sooner or later. And I can't, I don't care how um, hard this government fights, it's my hope that this will be their last Time, time around the block. All right, let's move along to another topic here because there's plenty more. All right, now, speaking of this government, they have a guy by the name of Rick Barnum. He is the Ontario Provincial Police, um, the head of the Ontario Provincial Police, and you know what he's telling the the, Fed, the Liberals? in uh, He's telling the, um, the MPs, the Federales, about this legalizing marijuana. He says, we're not going to be ready in time. As a police organization, we will not be ready. There is no way we can do this. And, of course, the federal liberals will not listen. They're not interested 
They don't want, they've got this agenda and they're pushing it through and it doesn't matter what anybody says. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me read a little of this to you. Senior Canadian police officials told MPs studying the government's marijuana legalization legislation, the police won't be ready to enforce new laws by next summer, and they're now asking the government for more time. They're not going to get it. The government has voiced has vowed to legalize the drug by July 1st, 2018, and introduced a bill in the House of Commons last spring to do just that. If legislation is ready to go July 2018, policing will not be ready to go August 1st. It's impossible, said Rick Barnum, Deputy Commissioner of the Ontario Provincial Police. I think we're very close. I agree that something had to change. This is a great step, but I think we've got to do it right and do it slowly and properly. Well, I don't think it's the right step, but I understand that as a, a he's more of a politician than he is a policeman. You know, he's just trying to make the best out of a bad situation. But there's a lot of a lot of concern around the health health effects of this. Uh, I posted a letter on Facebook today written by somebody from the – let me see if I can pull it up real fast here. Uh, I'll just scroll down until I see it. Uh, do, 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 where are you? I posted you. Yeah. No, that's Nancy Pelosi. There's a lady that should retire real soon, real fast. Okay. Uh, we'll get to safe injection sites. Where did it go? Uh, yeah, I got that. I got that. Okay, this I wasn't I wasn't going to go to this, and that's why I don't have it ready. But um, where did it go? All right. Well, anyway, from the queen, uh, from the one of the hospitals here in Ottawa, um, a, uh, a doctor who deals with this wrote a letter saying this stuff is dangerous, and we shouldn't be messing around with it. We should spend as least as much time warning kids away from this stuff as we do uh, warning them away from tobacco. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think this is just a prescription for disaster. Uh, as she points out in her uh, in her letter, that uh, you know uh, a young person's mind or brain doesn't stop developing till they're 25, and that heavy use of marijuana uh, is a problem because it has an impact on how the brain develops. So they do not want to um, entertain that idea because that means they have to do more study, they have to take their time and slow down. And you know it's funny with this particular government. They have a bad habit of wanting to um, keep the promises they should break and break the promises they should keep. I don't know why. It's just the nature of the beast of these guys. Uh, yes, I know she's buying votes. I realize that she. Uh, in this case, the federal government's buying votes because it's popular. Okay, A lot of people use this stuff. But that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. You know, just because the whole world thinks something's the right thing to do doesn't automatically make it so. Just because the whole world holds a certain attitude doesn't mean it's right. There was a time when everybody on this planet thought it was flat. And all the maps had around the edges a little saying that said, beyond here be dragons. And you couldn't buck the um, conventional wisdom that it wasn't flat, it was round, until a guy called Galileo came along and proved them all wrong. So just because the the public public opinion isn't always right, nor is it always the right direction to go, when it comes to governance, it is the lead indicator. And you know, I'm I'm not dismissing it completely, but when it flies in the face of what we know to be true, okay, then like if somebody walked up to you today and said, you know, the world's flat, and there are people out there who actually believe that, 
All right. But the vast majority of us figure, figured out a long time ago that ain't true. And simple observations can make that point. And I won't bore you with how that's done. But the bottom line is you've got a whole group of people out there uh, who now believe that there's nothing there's nothing harmless. Marijuana is a harmless drug. And, it, you know, just leave people alone. They want to take a very libertarian attitude about it. And if that was the case... All right. If it was just about, but this isn't what this is. This is not what this is about. This is not about the government just telling, not getting out of your way and letting you live your life with all the consequences that come with bad decisions. You know, it's not that. It's about money. It's always been about money. With these guys, they're spending money so fast that they're looking for anything to generate income. That's what this whole new tax regimen is about, and they're going after professionals and doctors and, and uh, farmers and people like that trying to close as many tax loopholes as possible, never even slowing down to think that maybe, just maybe, if we didn't have people uh, taxed to death, if we lowered the tax rate, the economic activity that would generate would make up you know, many times over the amount of money we'd lose by a lower tax rate. It's the old 1% of one hamburger or or 1% one, 1 of a million hamburgers or 100% of one hamburger. Which one's going to give you more? Okay, it's that kind of mentality. They, don't, they won't recognize that because the other side of that coin is the more you can do for yourself because you have more wealth in your pocket, the less you need them. And that's not how governments like it. They like it when they when you depend on them. And as long as you depend on them, you're going to vote for them. That's what everything this government does. And it's not unique, by the way, it's not unique to just the liberals. Every government of every stripe has policies in place to make people like them and remember them at the ballot box. It was true of the Harper, Harper conservatives. It was true of Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin. And it's certainly even more. But with Justin Trudeau, it's so over the top. It's so ridiculous. He's throwing millions in. Think about this. He gave away $250 million, okay, to countries. Now, that's, I'm sorry, that's a whole different topic. I'm not going to go there. He seems... He's doing things like, okay, let me take this story. This is a better example. There's a story in the news today um, about how he is cutting back on the quota for uh, a major food, uh, a major, where I'm just looking for the story now. I got it here somewhere. Uh, where are you? No, you're not there. Darn it. I had it. Where did it go? It's a major seafood producer based in on both coasts. And they have... Um, uh, a quota for the heck is it now? Something, some kind of clam. And here it is. Okay, I knew I'd find it. Okay. Uh, what kind of clam is it? Okay, Clearwater Seafoods is the name of the com company. They've had this quota for decades, and they've got community, whole communities built around um, this quota. And the processing of this fish. Okay, so here we go. In its annual report, this is from the National Post, 
Clearwater Seafoods warned shareholders that its international operations are subject to economic and political risk. The domestic operations are obviously not considered precarious. After all, what could go wrong when you have a friend in the prime minister? A year ago, Justin Trudeau was pictured in Hangzhou, China, with Alibaba Group founder Jack Ma waving around a Clearwater lobster that had recently been made available for sale on Ma's e-commerce site Tmall. But politics is a fickle mistress. Promoting a growing Canadian seafood producer in Asia was a top priority when the cameras were rolling in China, but those ties have been severed now that Clearwater is an impediment to a project even closer to the Prime Minister's heart, Indigenous Reconciliation. Last Thursday, the Department of Fisheries put out an innocuous-looking press release that said it will use 25% of its existing total allowable catch of Arctic surf clams. That was the guy I knew it was some kind of clam. To issue a new license that will be open to expressions of interest from indigenous entities from the Atlantic provinces and Quebec. Fisheries Minister Dominic LeBlanc said that by enhancing access to surf clam fishery for indigenous groups, we are taking a powerful step towards reconciliation. No, you're depriving whole communities of their lifestyle, of the jobs they need. Okay, Clearwater has to this point. All right. Uh, in a letter to, Le, to LeBlanc, uh, let me back up. Rex Matthews, the mayor of Grand Bank, Newfoundland, where Clearwater has a processing plant, did not mince his words. In a letter to LeBlanc, he said that he's received the news with a sense of shock, disbelief, disappointment, and discouragement. His town is reeling and flabbergasted that the government would take nearly 10,000 tons of allowable catch from a quota that has been granted to Clearwater for years. This decision by your department has shattered the dreams of those employees who will see harvesting vessels tied up early in the year and their plant closed for at least four to five months. These employees will now be forced onto the payroll of the federal government through the EI system, whereas before they were productive, contributing, and proud members of society. Now look, Newfoundland in the last election voted red. They voted for the Liberals. Now, Let's face it, Newfoundland has not exactly been the hotbed of um, political, the center of the political world is maybe a better way to put it. But they did, certainly didn't deserve that kick in the teeth. And what's it all about? It's all about this indigenous, this, this whole, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. How much more can we give you to prove how sorry we are? I, this stuff just makes me crazy. It really does because this is how he puts one group against another. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not against people who are, you know, of Native or Aboriginal backgrounds having work. I'm not saying that. Okay. If, if they can find work, we should, we should allow them to do that. Or I'm not trying to sound, you know, I don't want to try to put them down. That's not it. I think there's plenty of economic opportunities if the government would just get out of the way for everybody to have a job or for the vast majority of people. So why is he kicking Newfoundland in the teeth over this? Again, you know, one of the questions I've often asked myself, and for those of you out on the East Coast, you might ask yourself the same question. What has Newfoundland ever got out of Confederation? They joined in 1949. They were the last province to join the, the country. Okay, that was the Joey Smallwood years. They ended up with resettlement where they took all these little towns scattered along the coast that had been there for centuries, and they literally floated them down the harbor into larger centers. There's stories of homes being put on boats and barges and towed out of the harbor to another location. And they got rid of all these little outports. 
and the new fees are still paying for that. They ended up with um, their share of the national debt. They've gotten nothing. Absolutely. When the when the um, I, I, for those of you who are old enough to remember, there was the turbot war. Okay, the cod fishery on the Grand Banks for centuries was the richest fishing ground in the world, literally on Newfoundland's doorstep. And when they went through a period in the late 70s and into the 80s where the Portuguese and the Spanish and a lot of other countries would come over and with no regard to Canada's sovereignty over that, because we'd always claimed that as an economic 200-mile economic exclusion zone, the Grand Banks, we claimed them as ours. And they wouldn't lift a finger to send these guys packing. And I'm talking about the Portuguese and the Spanish and the English and all these other countries that are coming over and literally stole the food out of the mouths of the people from Newfoundland. And it drove them crazy. And I can't say as I blame them. All right, let me play a couple of commercials. We'll come back with more right after this. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. That's all set. I want to move on. You know, we've been beating up on the liberals all night long, and that's not hard to do. Matter of fact, it's rather entertaining. Um, but there's another group out there that deserves a little of our attention because they, they, their answer is always the same. According to the Toronto Star, Sun, sorry, Ontario NDP want a new ministry for mental health addictions. Ontario's New Democrats want to set up a, sta a standalone ministry to bolster the province's mental health addiction services. NDP leader Andrea Horwath says her party has proposed a private member's bill that would create the new Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions if adopted by the legislature. The new ministry would be charged with cutting waste, wait lists and streamlining services across the province. Horwath says the government has not taken action on recommendations made in 2010 by an all-party select committee that investigated the issue. Well, Ms. Horwath, I have news for you. If they won't take advice from their own Auditor General, um, 
which got tossed up on a shelf and is now collecting dust with, I think, several hundred recommendations. What makes you think they're going to listen to you? Anyway, I digress. Uh, at the time, that committee's top recommendation was the establishment of a set of umbrella or of a set umbrella organization to deal with mental health and addictions issues similar to Cancer Care Ontario. NDP health critic France Jelena said that men, the mental health and addiction services in Ontario are currently spread across 11 ministries. Now, what I want to know is why is it with the NDP that the only answer is to make government bigger? Did they say they wanted to close down the other 11 ministries? What are they? They didn't list them. Now, granted, it's a short story in Toronto Sun. I get it. You know, they're not going to. It's not the National Post. Let's put it that way. Their stories are more for brevity than they are for pretty much anything else. It just gives you an inkling of what's going on. But at the same time, these guys, the only answer they ever have is government, 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 government. You know, I don't have the answer either. But here's what I do know that there are and there are all kinds of people working really hard on helping people with addictions, mental health issues. You know, you all know about what my wife does with Warhorse. That's only one small tiny little raisin in a very big raisin pie. There are all kinds of people. We ran into an organization called Veterans uh, Guitars for Veterans. There's and I I don't mean to stick just with veterans because there's a lot of mental health issues out there. They're just the ones I'm most familiar with. But there are people out there who use all kinds of different vehicles to help people deal with mental issues. Some of it is straight clinical psychology. Some of Why not? You know, if there's a need, the private sector will fill it. And they will do a good job doing it. At least as well, if not better, than the, than the, than the public sector. Because there's, there's money to be made in doing it right. So whenever the government gets involved, it gets more expensive, less efficient, wait times go up. Look, an example of this is when we have a situation like everybody always says, well, we need more education from the government on, and you fill in the blank, sex ed, on, on, uh, on uh, so whatever social ill, smoking, you name it, um, you know, drinking and driving. And there's been a couple of successes you can point to, but most of that's been carried by not-for-profit groups like, let's take the case of um, drinking and driving, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Okay, they've, they've done, you know, the lion's share work or a huge chunk of the work on educating people about what the hazards of drinking and driving. Now, the government has supported that. And sometimes those, organ- those things work. But in the vast majority of cases, they don't. Because take, take uh, homelessness. There's another example, okay? If throwing more money at homelessness or making that infrastructure to support those who are homeless actually solve the problem. We just cured this years ago. We wouldn't have any homeless left. The amount of money we spend on each individual person who's homeless, which you can never find out, by the way, I defy you to go and try and find a way, find out how many people um, are actually homeless just in the city of Ottawa or Toronto, or Calgary. You pick the city, whatever you want. Go into the States and ask the same question. How many people? Go to Baltimore. Go to, I don't care, go anywhere you want to and say, how many homeless do you have? They have no idea because nobody wants to do an accurate nose count. There are very simple ways to do it. 
you can get an idea. The people in the shelters uh, who work in the shelters have a good idea who are legitimately homeless and who are just people who are just milking the system. They know who they are. It's not that hard. There was one case, and I believe this was done once, but they, they wouldn't use the results or something. I forget now. This is about five or six years ago where somebody just put, you know what you can see under black light, you can see a certain kind of ink, right, or a dye. Well, they walked around, and they had this dye in their hand. They just walk up to a homeless guy and give him a pat on the back, right, for legitimate homeless people. So they went around later that night with a black light, and you could see the ones that they had tagged as real homeless, and when they counted them up, they were a lot less than they thought they were. And so what does that mean? That means that you don't need the, the, the amount of money to provide the services for those people or the number of staff. And they didn't want to put people out of work, so they rejected, the, they rejected it because there's an industry in this. And I know that people have... Um, this is not new. I'm not the first one to ever say this. As a matter of fact, I've said this many times over the last 14 years that this is a victim. This is a victim uh, mentality. It's a victim. The sort um, of victimhood uh, industry. They have to maintain a certain amount of need in order to justify a certain amount of funding. And the more need there is, the more funding there is. The more funding there is, the more people they can employ. It's a vicious cycle. So they're not interested in dealing with homeless in that sense. And this is why when I look at a story like the Andrea Horwath story about, oh, let's, let's set up a standalone, let's, let's invent a whole new layer of government. And what we're going to do is we're going to solve this problem by having more of the same that didn't work before. That's her, that's her solution. That's her answer. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not too interested in having more of the same, especially since it didn't work the first time. Now, on another area that's related, oh, yeah, there's that. Let's tell you what, uh, I'll say the other story for after the break. It goes back towards that kind of a, a topic. But this is another story. I thought we'd heard the last of this, but apparently not. You remember the prime minister's trip down to that private island, Aga Khan's private island? Uh, for Christmas, I think it was. He spent Christmas down there, and he told us it was a hundred and. Thirty-seven thousand, uh, $127,000 was the uh, cost um, to take that trip, all right? Well, that's not exactly the truth. All right, taxpayers are on the hook for more than $215,000 from the Prime Minister's jaunt to the Bahamas. Oh, Bahamas, not said the Caribbean. Well, I guess the Bahamas are in the Caribbean, aren't they? Over the Christmas holidays. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his family were guests of Aga Khan on his privately owned Bell Island and was joined by a number of staff. While Parliament originally, while Parliament, see, I think what they're trying to say here is not very well written, is the PMO, okay, because Parliament's a building. Uh, while the PMO originally said the trip cost $127,187, according to documents the broadcaster obtained through an access to information request, the total cost was actually $215,398. This includes costs to cover the RCMP, Defense Staff, Global Affairs, Canada and Privy Council staff who accompanied the Prime Minister on the trip. Part of the reason for this higher number is money for the RCMP security detail. Parliament or originally, I'm sorry, 
The PMO originally said the cost was $71,988, which covers both overtime and travel costs. However, the new document puts that total uh, puts that total cost of all expenses incurred for the RCMP at $153,000. That is over twice what they said it costs. So they either can't count. Like, look, how hard is it? Is this any more difficult to do than any kind of mid-sized company sending some staff off on a, um, let's call it a leadership retreat? People go, they have a budget, they keep receipts, they, when they get back, they turn into the account, into human resources department or whatever, accounting department, whoever looks after this stuff, their receipts. They add it all up and say, that's what it cost us. How hard is it? You see, this isn't about, if there's an old saying is, if you can't be trusted in the little things, don't be looking for it. You can't be trusted in the big things. And I'm actually paraphrasing that. It's the other way around. But the, the point I'm making is, Why? Look, $215,000 is chump change. They spend more on pencil sharpening than that, than that. It's not the amount of money that's the problem. Yeah, they learn math in Ontario. <laughs> oh, Stephanie, you're probably right. Oh, boy, that's a sore spot, too, let me tell you. Anyway, the, the, the point is, it's chump change. $215,000. I can tell you without even thinking that they spend more on the Prime Minister's limo in gas. Well, maybe. Eh, that's a lot of gas. But there's certainly, you know, they eat that up in no time. That's nothing. We're not talking about millions of dollars here. We're talking hundreds of thousands, which sounds like a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. It's sold 215 grand is a lot of money. But compared to the overall cost of running the government, it's a tiny little drop in a really big bucket. So it's not the amount. It's a fact that we're being told two different stories. Why didn't they just come out and tell us the truth in the first place? Are they so incompetent their accounting staff shouldn't, you know, they can't trust their, their accounting staff? How did this, this isn't new. This is, we're going back, this is now September, so uh, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, September. Eight months. Yeah, I learned math on Ontario too, you can tell, right? Uh, eight months we're going back now. Uh on a story that old. Now, now we find out, and only after the national broadcaster went and dug it up. Why didn't they just tell us in the beginning? You see, this is another thing that drives people crazy. If you would just tell us the truth. Nobody, no one, when it comes to that kind of thing, yes, it was probably a little, like, I would never, believe me, I could go on quite a vacation for 215 grand. But the prime minister's office comes with a certain amount of perks. I mean, if you're going to run the largest, one of the largest, geographically at least, largest countries in the world, and you're our G8 nation, and you, you know you're one of the wealthiest countries in the world, there's a lot of responsibility uh, that comes with that. And I don't have any problem with uh, a prime minister. Never mind this one, but a prime minister taking time off down in the Caribbean over the holidays. I don't care. Because it's peanuts compared to the size of the budget, okay? But don't tell me it's only going to cost me $127,000 and then double the cost eight months later. That's what makes people crazy. And that's the part that these people just can't get through their heads. If they would just be honest with us. But they have no interest in that. There's nothing about anything they do 
that is actually honest. I've got another story about refugees that'll add weight to that fire, but we'll get into that after the break. I'm going to take a little break and refresh my uh, water glass, and uh, we'll be back with more after this. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he can talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold, and, and, and you'll be fine. night does not exist without advertisers so if you want to buy time you contact either myself jc at latenightcouncil.com or you can contact nick if you're more comfortable with him and of course i certainly understand that you can contact nick at latenightcouncil.com the ads are like really really cheap i mean you're gonna you're gonna love them okay we've made them quite accessible Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. All right. Got a little mechanical thing to do here. Uh, somebody's phone is dead, and i got to plug it in to charge it up again. There, got that done and out of the way. All right, now, make sure everything's back to where it should be. Okay, we have, oh, let's go take a phone call. Oh, yes, we like phone calls. Come on. There we go. Hang on. Good evening. Welcome to the Nick Knight Show. Who am I talking to? You're talking to Mike. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Good. A little revved up. 
I, you know, <laughs> listen to big government after big government after big government, it starts to get me boiled. Well, I'm not done yet. Basically, okay. it, I mean, pretty much it's all, you know, it's the same every week too, right? Almost every story you pull is the same problem. The, it's big government. It's out of control government. Uh, it was so addicted to government in this nation that we we don't even have an opposition to that. We just have people who want to change the drapes. We don't like they. they <laughs> yeah, they'll say, "Hey, you shouldn't have done that." But well, were you going to stop it? Hell no. But you just shouldn't have. Yeah, we well, don't even run against it anymore. We don't. Why is there any poverty in this nation? You think about how big Canada is and how rich in resources it is with wood, lumber, uh, farming. Uh, oil and gas, minerals, uh, fishing and, and wildlife, and, and, I mean, energy with things like Niagara Falls, fresh water. We, and then you divide that huge land by, what, 35 million people? We're probably some of the richest people on the planet, and yet we live like we're in Russia. Why? Because there are people out there who are, don't want us to live that way. Well, because we're not allowed to use any of it. We're, we're not allowed to touch it. You're just not allowed to touch it. You can't use it. You can't touch it. You can't live. And, and then I've got to listen to how they care more about people like the handicapped or the mentally ill when I'm listening to stories in Iceland about how they practically eliminated Down syndrome. No, you didn't. You killed them all. Yeah, that's, that's what the West believes in. That's what, that's what eugenics is. It's Judeo-Christians who believe in caring for everybody. And maybe if government got off people's backs and allowed people to earn and live and to produce, they would have the money. They wouldn't have so many people who are down on their luck. And the few that are, the communities would have no problem. Are you seriously expecting me to believe, even as cynical as I am on our society today, do you really think that we would actually allow people to just starve to death in the street, that nobody would actually help? We just have to have government to solve this for us? I don't believe it. Well, this is the whole point. And it, if you look back in our history, there are times when we, did not, we could not uh, access the resources we have today because technology just didn't allow it. And yet, People looked after each other. It wasn't that we needed government to come along and teach us to be compassionate. If anything, it's made it worse. So it, have... well, Exactly. It's, I'll give you an analogy. Think about like an apartment building or a condo where you see garbage and cigarette butts and crap all over the place. Why? Because the people who live there don't take ownership of it. Somebody else is going to clean it. It's somebody else's job. It's somebody else's responsibility, not mine. So they don't take pride in their own place they live. And that's how people treat it with government. Government will solve that problem. Why isn't government getting that guy a sandwich? Well, government took 100 bucks from me today, and they got 2 bucks to give that guy for a sandwich. Where the hell did the rest of it go? And that's been the same problem always. That's why you don't let government do all these things that it's not meant to do. It's there to protect our rights, not take from us and hand it out like candy back to us. That's what's creating all of these problems, and it really frustrates me that we don't even have anybody in politics pushing back against any of this. They're too busy trying to play some sort of version of, well, you know, i got to appeal to this group and that group. Why the hell? Everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to put food on their, on their table and shelter, and, and they need energy and to heat their homes and look after their kids. 
Everybody's got the same needs and problems, and if government would get the hell out of the way, we could get back to that. Oh, listen, you and I couldn't agree on that more. Um, That's where a lot of our social clubs came from. The Rotary Club, the Lions Club, the Knights of Columbus, you, you run down the list, and all of them started out with outreach programs to help people less fortunate than the average person on the street. And they did an amazing job. Now, uh, there's new technology out there that would help make it easier. We could access resources. And if we had a, uh, uh, let's say, instead of having the government hand out welfare checks, uh, if we had people who were willing to, you know, uh, go out and uh, give these people an opportunity to get a job, for those who can, some can't, I get that, but even in the case where they can't get a job, there were places where they could go. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, uh, slave farms or things like that. I'm talking about people who would take somebody on who needed to hand up and would be willing to yep. do it. And if he couldn't, you had institutions that were run by very compassionate people uh, that would look after those who couldn't look after themselves. It isn't that the way it used to be, that if somebody was, was down on their luck and they needed, they needed a job, they would go looking, and somebody would have something that they needed done, and they were willing to pay for, and they would do that job. That was a job. You're not allowed to do that anymore. That's government. That's people stopping each other from being able to earn for one another. There's, a, there's some mayor, I, I don't remember, this was a few weeks ago, I saw that uh, you might have seen it as well. There's, I think he's a mayor... Um, Republican guy, and he started a, a program with the homeless in his community, uh, offering them basically city jobs, and they get hired by, by the day. So the a van drives around, and if you want if you want a job, they'll they'll give you a job for the day, and they'll give you pay for the day, and they pay well, and they got homeless people coming out and doing it. They they want to work. It's this idea that people just want to sit around and, and, and do nothing and be just get handouts, I, I don't believe it. I think people would truly prefer to work and earn for themselves. And the few that are left that, that are truly unable to look after themselves for, for mental reasons or for whatever other reasons, the community would have so much disposable income at that point because we'd be, our cost of living should be so freaking low and, and, our, and our, our disposable income should be so high that that shouldn't even be a problem. It should, we should be, they, should have, they should be doing well just because we could bless them with so much of our wealth. There's no reason for this other than the fact that we keep allowing. It's not just that government does it to us. We allow government to do it to us. Now the part of the and problem, that's the problem. And I think that you and I would agree on this. Um, I'm not, not trying to put words in your mouth, but if it, it it all starts um, at home with the family, teaching a good work ethic and an understanding. Because to say, oh, you know, we got to teach a good work ethic, that's one thing. But to know what that means is something else. And when we turn our children over to schools and trust them with the education of our children. Once they get a hold of them, they start teaching them all these, uh, for lack of better They're teaching term, them the opposite. They, they teach them these Marxist principles, which undermine yes. everything that, you know, a modern Western society needs to operate, like accepting responsibility, going the extra mile. You know, if there's a job to do, do it. Worry about the credit later. These kinds of things are the kinds of things that built this country in the first place. Like when they were building the CPR, okay, do you think the guy... Uh, the teams worried about who went. They had certain jobs, but if a guy swinging a hammer saw somebody uh, trying to put a railroad tie in place, 
You think he wouldn't put the hammer down and help him? Or would he stand back and say, not my job? No, of course not. They work together as a team to get the job done because the job is more important than the individuals doing it. And even, and even in those jobs, those dangerous jobs of blasting and, and swinging the hammer, I mean, I remember seeing this on, you know, a uh, bad example, but, you know, a little, little house on the prairie, for example. And, but, but the railroads had, were big money. They had big money and in, in, in interest in getting this thing down and running. And so they needed it operational. So, well, I don't want to do that job. I'm going to lose my hand or I'm going to get blown up. Okay, we'll pay extra. So those jobs paid more. That's, that's how capitalism works. That's what free market's all about. Well, you find, like, the market settles it because people negotiate freely amongst themselves. You don't need somebody holding your hand and negotiating for you. You can decide what's right for you. You can decide, I'll do that job or I'll pay for that service. Yeah. And that's how trade works. Right now, we got government blocking everybody from that, and, and minimum wage things, and regulations, and extra taxes, and this and that. And I mean, it's just a big convoluted mess that's pulling us to the bottom and, and making it impossible for us to get services. And the health care is completely out of control. What the hell is the government into the health care for? They should be out of there. And, and education, oh my gosh, I'm beginning to really believe that is probably one of the biggest scariest uh, 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 crises that we have, because these kids are totally learning anti-capitalism. They're learning Marx. They're learning that the Bible is bad. Their family is bad. They're evil. It's, that's not freedom. They're just greedy. They, they, they're totally learning this stuff. And then when we try to uh, uh, you know, make our case politically, they, they've been so indoctrinated, it's literally like trying to tell somebody in a cult that it's all a big lie. You need to come out of there. They're gonna. That's not gonna end well for you. They don't know. They can't. They can't even distinguish anymore. Yeah, they have. So they I have mean, no, no frame of reference. Yeah, like, we really do need to, like those of us who care about this. We really have got to get better at, at educating ourselves. It's just not enough. We need to learn how to inform ourselves, and we need to start influencing the very immediate people around us or whoever we can. And just like the Bible says, if you're talking to somebody that just flat out won't listen, you knock the dust, you go to the next guy. Yeah. Because we don't need to have some big super majority. You just need to have the right amount of righteous people who, who aren't just going to let it let themselves be run over. That's, that's basically how it works. And, and I know it sounds far-fetched, but, I mean, it's worked before, and it'll work again. All right, Mike, I'm going to stop you there. Appreciate your call as always. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, he, he does have a lot of good points. You know, it's, it's um, it, and I hate to say it because it's such a worn-out saw. It always starts with the children. And I think this is where people of my generation and older have really dropped the ball, is we've allowed teachers, and I'm not suggesting that, they, that parents were nefarious in this sense, but they just didn't pay attention. The, you know, life got busy and people started doing things and they got on with their careers and all that stuff, and they turned the kids over to the teachers. And a lot of these, and not even any individual teachers, but if you look at what's being taught in the teachers' colleges, if you look at what uh, a lot of teachers, they now talk about openly about co-parenting. I'm sorry, you're not a co-parent. You're a teacher. I've given you the responsibility to educate my children the way that I would do it if I had the time or if I had the skills. But that doesn't make you responsible for them. It makes you responsible to me. That's what it means. 
So that kind of stuff is the kind of stuff that I just, uh, I got to agree with Mike. It's enough to drive you crazy. I've got another story along that line. Um, I'll even tell you what the headline is because we'll take a quick little break and we'll get back to it. Oh, yes. Uh, drive you crazy. Not about education, but <laughs> you think that Canada's a warm and welcoming. It, actually, the headline reads this way. <clears throat> this is from an American news site. It says, Canada deported hundreds of refugees and illegal immigrants. Justin Trudeau claimed he'd welcome immigrants with open arms. Now he's sending them back. I'll have my um, little spiel on that when we get back right after this. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right, there we go. Works better when I press the button the right way. Yes, there's a right way and a wrong way to press it. If you press it down, it mutes the mic. If you do have it up, you can talk. All right, so yes, there's more than one way to do that. Okay, now, all right, I mentioned before the break the following. Canada deported hundreds of refugees all illegally. This, is, this story is nothing but window dressing. How many refugees, and I use the word refugees in the very loosest of terms because they're not refugees. This drives me, uh, yes, it was dance music. I, <laughs> one of these nights, it would be fun just to play music, but you'd get bored of that in a hurry because <sighs> what I like to play and what you like to listen to might not always be the same thing. Anyway, um, but the word refugee is, is used and misused so badly, especially here in Canada. Everybody calls them refugees, whether they're pe the Haitians coming across the border of Quebec or they're, uh, you know, people from the Middle East coming over. They're not refugees. You cannot be a refugee from the United States. And if you leave the Middle East and you land in Turkey or Italy or any other European country, your refugee status is finished. But they use the word refugees because it invokes a certain amount of, um, oh, we got to look after them. Sympathy. That's the word, sympathy. Because they're saying uh, we have to make sure uh, that these refugees are looked after. They're not refugees. They're not. So let's stop calling them that. But I'm not going to win that battle. I'm going to tr keep trying, but I'm not going to win that battle. I know that already. All right, so back to the story. So Justin Trudeau is uh, being uh, pointed point out as a hypocrite here 
in this story, and I'll share a little bit with you. But understand, this is nothing but not that the story is window dressing, but the numbers are. Okay, I'm not saying that the story is wrong. According to a report released Monday, Canada, the country that claimed they would open their arms to the world's refugees, has been deporting these same refugees back to war-torn countries in record numbers. Well, anything more than one for this government would be a record. So, yeah, I can see where they make that claim. Faced with a growing illegal immigration crisis, Justin Trudeau's government has been taking extreme measures to ensure Canada's immigration laws are duly enforced, and in, that includes removing anyone who doesn't follow Canada's strict rules for migration into the country, except for when the RCMP carry their luggage over the border, or we send up 10 cities, or let them use the Odome, the, um, um, the Big O in Montreal. The, the numbers that they get into next here, uh, in the next paragraph, are just, they're so small compared to the overall number of immigrants we've taken in, it's to be ridiculous. Between January 2014 and December 6, 2017, Canada sent 249 people to 11 countries. So let's stop and think about that. Let's call it 250. So uh, January um, 14, so January uh, 14, 15, all 16. So there's three, almost four years, 250 people. Now, my math ain't that great. But 250 divided by four <laughs> is about 60 people a year. 60 people out of the tens of thousands that we've taken in. That number includes 134 refugees returned to Iraq, likely fleeing ISIS, and 43 refugees returned to Afghanistan. The number of returns to Iraq has already doubled so far this year. That's not hard when you're only returning... Uh, if you look at the Iraqi refugees, 134 divided by 4, uh, that's 3, uh, that would be 14. So that's, um, let's call it 35 for the sake of discussion. 35 a year, double that, that's not hard. By this time in, in 2016, Canada had reported only around 20 people back to the Middle East, according to, uh, uh, sorry, to a country the Canadian government deems unsafe. Already this year, government has deported 50 Iraqi refugees. You know, it's absolute, utter nonsense that Canada is deporting in vast numbers. The whole story is skewed. Now, maybe we can excuse this because it's an American um, news site that obviously doesn't follow Canadian politics very well or very often. Okay, so I'll cut them a little bit of slack that way. But... For the love of, if, if you know what, if we were going to import, export anybody or deport anybody, guess who it would be? But we can't because he's Canadian-born. Yeah, Omar Khadr, you got it. Uh, so anyway, um, this, this, the whole thing is just it's nothing but a misunderstanding. Like the, the Trudeau government is a lot of things, but hard on immigrants isn't one of them. They're using immigrants to bolster their chances at the next election. It's the same thing what's going on in Ontario. Okay, they were settling a lot of these people in the GTA. Why? Well, there's a lot of jobs there, no doubt. You know, there's a lot of economic reasons, but part of the reason, at least, is to bolster the Liberals' chances. Because, let's put it this way, if you're from, um, let's say, some third-world tin pot place, let's say you're from the Sudan, 
and you come over from Sudan and you show up in, at Pearson International Airport and you step up off that plane, are you telling me you're not going to kiss the ground and thank whoever it is that brought you over and swear permanent filial obedience and loyalty to that organization? And if there's a liberal standing there saying, you know, here's, here, here's a ballot vote for me, that you're not going to do that? That's what this is all about. It's got nothing to do with what's good for the country or compassion for the, for the refugees or, or the immigrants because there's literally tens of thousands of people in the immigration queue who are doing it legally that they're not paying any attention to at all. Now, I'm not saying we should soften up the immigration process, okay? Although I do think that we should be looking to Western Europe and we should be looking to other countries that have people who have similar uh, values that we have and bring them in. And if they can come in with doctorates, you know, we need doctors, family doctors. So if, let's, let's say somebody from England wants to come to Canada or Australia just to pick two out of the, out of the blue or Hungary or Poland or someplace like that. And they're family doctors. Let them sit down and write an equivalency test here in Canada for the Ontario Medical Association or whatever governing board you want to, you want to mention to certify they actually are doctors and know their stuff. And if you want to give them a one or two year intern, internship just to make sure, okay, great. Let's do that because we're running out of GPs. So are they interested in that? Maybe there's a program out there about it, but I don't know about it. And it's certainly not very well advertised. I had a conversation with my own family doctor. He's, I've got 18 months left before he retires. The average age of family doctors in Barry's Bay, Ontario, where my doctor lives and works at St. Francis Hospital, is about 50. There's a couple that are a little younger. There's a 35-year-old guy who just moved up from Kingston. But some of the other doctors are well into their 60s. One guy's even into his 70s. So how we... And then, of course, we're making life really interested. Um, uh, very interested in... Uh, or we're making it really difficult for family doctors to, to... People who want to go to medical school to become general practitioners. Because the paperwork and the amount, the, the amount of money you have to do and the paperwork amount of money you get paid and the paperwork you have to do isn't worth the headache. It isn't worth ringing up $100,000 in debt in medical school to come out and go through the kind of hell they go through. And most of it's inflicted by the government, not the patient. So anyway, so I just thought I'd bring that to your attention. This is just more nonsense. Um, you know, this is a story that's not very well researched or written, and it just drives me up a wall when I see that because it's just completely no. Now... We are making headway on another field here. Excuse me a second. And that is this. This I love this. This is a great story. This is a good news story. The headline is Science Matters. Reading between the lines and underneath the hype. Climate, see, Canada ends probe against climate change deniers. Um, I never really thought about it that way, but you know what? That... The, the, the implication of that is Canada is investigating organizations that deny climate change. Otherwise, how does that headline make sense? I'll read to you one more time. Canada ends probe, brings a probe to an end against climate change doubters. So that means that if you're an organization that doubts climate change, 
there's a chance the government of, the, of your country will investigate you and see if you've got your head screwed on straight. Well, I think if you don't deny clients uh, man-made global warming, that you need your head examined, but that's another story. All right, now, here's the bulk of the story here. The vigilantes report on their setback in this National Observer article, uh, Fed's halt probe of climate deniers, some experts' excerpts gave the flavor of their perspective. Why does this not seem to make much sense? Uh, okay, well, we'll just keep going. After more than a year of investigating, the Competitive Bureau abruptly dropped its inquiry earlier this summer into three groups that had displayed information into three groups that had displayed information in public raising doubts about the international scientific consensus on climate change. The group put up websites and billboards that prom promoted statements like the sun is the main driver of climate change and carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. According to an application filed with, with the Bureau, a Canadian independent law enforcement agency. Those views are contrary to mainstream climate science and the government of Canada itself, which states that change in solar irradiance have, have, caused, <clears throat> have contributed to climate trends over the past century. But since the industrial, industrial revolution, the effect of additions of greenhouse gases on the atmosphere has been over 50 times of has been over 50 times that of changes in the sun's output. And it goes on to talk about why they dropped the climate. It just They didn't want to waste the time and resources. In other words, they found no merit in the case. And they show a great picture uh, of some of the things that these guys are accused of doing. One is a, a billboard, and I believe it's in downtown Calgary. Yeah, in Calgary. It says the, the billboard, great big billboard alongside a, a major four-lane highway. The sun is, the, main, the sun is the main driver of climate change, not you, not CO2. And that's, uh, that is uh, brought to them by friend, that is put up by Friends of Science. And they do another one here that says, global warming stopped naturally 16 years ago. Okay, and the third one says, say no to climate CO2, CO2, how? C-O-2-E-R-C-I-O-N, coercion. Okay, I can't read. Okay, say no to climate coercion. So these are the kind of things they've put up, and the government has decided that that was worth investigating. Or some um, eco-justice group filed a complaint about it and said, oh, we can't have that, man. Oh, no, 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 because the consensus is, I guess the fact that science doesn't work on consensus seems to be lost in these people, and it's part of the debate you just can't have. We've been down that road many, many times. So this is a great story, the fact that the, the people in this organization, the climate science, uh, friends of science, have won this battle, and uh, I hope that it emboldens other organizations who are of like mind to put an end to bring out the truth. And and as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, just slay this dragon once and for all. That we need to have this debate about this because I think when the facts are all laid out and people understand what they're really arguing over, because the the whole thing boils down for me to one simple principle that they want you to believe that we are responsible for dramatically altering the climate of the planet because carbon dioxide gas is something more than just plant food. And that's utterly outrageous. That's all it is. It's plant food. It's the most important gas on the planet, but it's not causing global warming. It just isn't. Anyway, now, 
We'll take another little quick break. When we come back, I'm going to switch topics to provincial politics because I have a question for you, and this is about conservatives, not about the Tories, or Tories, not about the grits. So stick around. We'll be right back after this. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make them smile. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. Now, I want to ask you a question. After all that's been said and done about the PC party here in Ontario, it's turned out, and if I can just find, there we are. Uh, does the name Mulroney ring a bell with you? Yeah, I thought so too. I thought it might. Well, his daughter, uh, Caroline, is going to run for the Conservative Party in the riding of York Simcoe. Uh, she's 43 years old, is married, and I think she's a mother. It doesn't really matter, I suppose. But the bottom line, I frankly don't, because the story's re relatively lengthy, and frankly, I don't care about the story itself. What I want to know is the parachute, whether you like her or not, isn't the point. What is the point is a star candidate. Is that enough to save a party uh, from um, destruction. In other words, would would a star candidate be enough to change your mind over voting for the PC Party of Ontario? Because I think Patrick Brown has done so much damage to that party that nothing can save it. That I think he'll snatch uh, victory from the jaws of defeat, or the other way around. He'll snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Because there's no, as I've said a hundred times before, there's no difference between the Liberals and the Tories right now in policy or in the way they govern their parties. Uh, they Both of them parachute in candidates. That's part of what uh, Kathleen Wynne's on trial for right now is the bribery that went into, uh, uh, you know, that whole scandal up there in Sudbury. So we'll see how that shakes out. But Patrick Brown uh, has been, uh, you know, adamant about the fact that he will have no one that he doesn't approve of uh, regardless of what the grassroots want now as a party leader he has that right but is it smart no no it's not not even close 
If you want people to feel connected to your party, you got to give them some kind of say. And the very least you can do is give them a chance to have a have a say over who they want to represent them under your banner. And a wise party leader, unless there's something about a candidate, uh, you know, that would embarrass the party really badly, like to find out the guy is, uh, you know, uh, uh, an individual is a sexual molester. Okay, you might say no. We have very good reason. And you might, on occasion, sweep one aside. But to do it regularly? No. So I don't see Caroline Mulroney coming in to save the day for Patrick Brown. I just don't see it. And quite frankly, there's a lot of angst out there towards the name Mulroney. Um, Just because he was a conservative prime minister doesn't mean he's universally liked. Uh, There's a lot of stuff um, that um, he is not very popular with. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like him for a lot of reasons. The GST at the time was one of them, even though that was a tax cut, but that won't go into that. Uh, so Brent just said, no, it'll un- it undermines democracy. And I, th- I think, Brent, you're right. It does. Because, as I just said, if you want to have a truly democratic process, you first have to start within your own backyard. And what you do is, instead of sweeping candidates who aside who you don't, who don't fit your perfect idea of what a PC party candidate should look like, you really should let the grassroots pick who they want. And if it happens to be someone you you know that you would rather they didn't, tough. You learn to work with them, right? It's like the quarterback doesn't get to pick who the wide receiver is going to be, you know? Or in the case of, of management, um, the coach doesn't get to decide when he's hired and when he's fired. Just ask uh, um, Kent Austin in Hamilton, although they won two straight and look really good doing it. That's the Hamilton Tiger Cats, of course. Uh, anyway, the point is, team players don't often get to pick who they get to who they get to play with. It's not always the All Star Game. And when was the last time anybody took an All Star Game seriously? I mean, seriously, really. It's, those games are a joke. They're a lot. They're kind of fun to watch. But nobody takes them seriously as a, as a, as a you know a real uh, demonstration of what hockey's supposed to be like. They show the skills and all that, and I'm going off down the wrong track. But the bottom line is, Caroline Maroney is not going to save the PCs. So I'm curious if there's anybody out there who disagrees with me, who says that you know what, maybe that does change my mind. Maybe at least with her, there's a possibility of something happening that's positive. I don't know what it could be, because if Patrick Brown endorses her, what does that mean? That means she fits his mold. Yes, she comes with a certain amount of star power. I'm not going to deny that. But if she was, let's put it this way, if Caroline, uh, Caroline um, Mulroney was a social conservative, okay, was pro-life, was, was uh, smaller government, lower taxes, parental rights, all these things that we, or let, let's just sum it up. It says she believed in the value of the only real principle that matters is merit. You think he would have let? You think he'd have let her stand as a candidate? Ain't no way. It's just not going to happen. That'd be like bringing in Barbara Kay. He's not going to do that. And Barbara's not that silly. She would never run for that anyway. But the 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 whole point of this is, you have a star candidate dropped in. All it is is same old, same old. The fact that she's a you know got a nice smile and a good-looking woman uh, isn't going to change anything. 
It's just undermining what's wrong. It's underlining what's wrong, I should say. So there's that. Now, there's been a bit of a debate on Facebook tonight. And I have been saying for as long as I've been in the media in the city of Ottawa, I remember when we first started talking about this while I was still on terrestrial radio, I brought in a guy, his name is Chris Grinham, and he and his wife Lisa were real uh, groundbreakers when it came to trying to clean up the mess that was um, in downtown Ottawa in the market and in Lower Town. And he took me on a walk around one time. And uh, we were talking about the, the needles, the, the dirty needles and the condoms and the and all the paraphernalia the city was giving out, and the addicts were just tossing all over the place. So we went for a little walk, and literally right next door to the radio station, we found a whole handful of needles in an alley that had been used and discarded and were a safety hazard for uh, every anybody who happened to walk down there because you don't know uh, who, you don't know where it comes from, you don't know, whether they're, you know, you had to treat them as if every one of them had been laced with HIV or hep C. And he went around and, and made the city put up, at, at the very least, the needle exchange program or a safe, safe deposit box, and that helped a lot. Uh, he did a, a tremendous amount of work. But he, I remember him sitting in the studio saying, there's a place called St. Pantriano who does it right. I don't remember all the details because you're going back 10 years now. Um, but the point is, his whole point was the fact that treatment, getting addicts into treatment quickly, is by far the better way to go about this. Now, what am I talking about? That's this whole Ottawa Safe Injection site, Praises New Byword Market Program for Addicts. I'm sorry, this is the same thing. News that an Ottawa group is moving to start an opioid substitution program, a form of supervised injection project, for city addicts is being applauded by another harm reduction group that says it wants to follow suit. Remember something, these people all have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. They don't want to solve the problem. I'm not saying every single one of them. I'm sure there's some very kind-hearted, you know, caring people within that organization. But in general, the move is, the attitude is, if we cure this problem, we're out of work. So they don't want to cure it. They want to maintain the status quo. So they're not interested. If we took half the effort that had been spent in the last 15 years in this, in this town um, into putting up treatment facilities or reopening old ones like Burt's Rapids and Cedar Springs and places like that, um, you know, and, and, or putting up multi-bed uh, treatment facilities right here in the city of Ottawa or in any major Canadian city um, and get these people off the streets, off the junk, and get them the help they need to put their lives back together, we wouldn't have to worry about a hep C. We wouldn't have to worry about HIV or other uh, sexually transmitted diseases. We wouldn't have to worry about dirty needles. We wouldn't have to worry about crack pipes. We wouldn't have to worry about any of this stuff. We find somebody who's addicted, we get them off the street, and we get them as quickly as possible into treatment. But nobody's interested in going down that road. And I think we're doing far more harm than good. This is nothing more... Uh, and the analogy I used tonight, and I've used before, is this kind of mentality is like giving an alcoholic a clean glass. It doesn't matter. He's still an alcoholic. You haven't solved the problem.
All you've done is made him feel safer while he poisons himself. How does that help anybody? It's just enough to make it. You know, this is the kind of, that kind of compassion we can do without. We don't need the kind of compassion that will kill people. Now, even in the temporary, uh, I forget what park it was, over in, I think it's in Sandy Hill, where they have um, an, an unofficial supervised injection site put up by well-meaning people who are totally misguided. And they say, oh, you know, we can't, we can't allow these people to die. Okay, fine. I don't want them to die either. But simply putting up a tent so they can squirt that juice into their arm with a clean needle isn't going to help them live any longer. They just won't die from AIDS or Hep C. They'll still die, but not of Hep C. Who cares? You're still dead. If we had taken half the effort and put it in treatment centers, like I said before, we wouldn't have the problems we have today. We might have even wrestled this bear to the ground. We'll never completely wipe it out. Nobody is under that illusion, least of all me. But I just don't see how handing somebody a clean glass is a way to cure them of alcoholism. I just don't see it. So that's just more of my, my rant on that, and I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, but Brent, again, says, stop enabling the addicts. They need help and a play, not a place to use. You're absolute, Brent, you and I, Stephanie says basically the same thing. Um, you know, and it also has an impact on tourism because there's more to this. Keep in mind, there's more to this than just helping the, the uh, we all want to help the addict. But what about this guy? If you go down to the market, okay, there's all kinds of cute little, really nice little, uh, let's call them um, boutiques and, and different shops that are, you, uh, you know, unique uh, to the market. Everything from beaver tails to, uh, if you walk down through the, the uh Next to where the Media Market Mall is, there's a long strip with all kinds of little stores, and there's coffee stores in there, and there's bagel stores in there, and there's all kinds of stuff. And actually, I went into a place once. I bought my wife a whole selection of teas from a very nice gentleman and his wife. And I can't tell you what I spent. I bought about a dozen different kinds of teas, all about two ounces in a bag. And uh, you can tell the last of the big-time spenders, right? But anyway, I went in there, and they were the nicest people. Uh, they were more than willing to do whatever they could to help and make sure that I got what I wanted and provided a great service and a great product at a great price. But if you want to get there, if you've got to step over th hundreds of needles or if you've got to take your life in your hands because of the, the crime that follows this kind of stuff, how much law, you know, how, why would you take a tourist down there? This isn't Bangladesh. This isn't Myanmar. This is the capital of a GA country. And within 150 yards, you're on Capitol Hill or Parliament Hill. And this is what tourists are going to come and see? There's more to this than just the drug addicts. All right, let me do my, another commercial break. We'll come back with more right after this. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. 
For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Let me go back to Facebook for just a minute because I want to share with you something I wrote a few days ago and seem to get a lot of response to. All i got to do now is find it because I wasn't planning on doing it. But what the heck. I think it's important. And I think it's kind of... Um, it, it fits in with the theme of tonight's show because it's finally... We have to... Um, yeah, we did that one. Partitioning off. I've... I can't wait to be able to play you audio clips because the one of Nancy Pelosi, she's an American. If you don't know who she is, she is a, a, a huge American Democrat. She was um, leader of the House while the Democrats were in control. She's the head of the Democratic Party, unless I miss my guess. I might be wrong on that. But she is a hardcore left-wing, lack of a better word, a lunatic. She should have retired years ago. She keeps calling the, uh, President Trump uh, President Bush. Um, just an absolute disaster, but she's fun to listen to uh, from the humor point of view. Yeah, so let me just scroll down a little further here, and I'll find it. Uh, yep, we did that. Yep, we did that. Where are you? I know it's here somewhere. Oh, I'd love to play you that. If you get a chance, uh, what you want to do is go find... Um, um, it's called, Hey Antifa, Have You Ever Heard This Story? Listen close. And it's a scene from a movie that really sums it up nicely, the whole Antifa thing. And I posted it on Facebook. You can have a listen to it there if you can't find it any other place. And I'm just, I know I'll be on top of it here in a second. Oh, yeah, here it is. Okay. So let me just blow this up a little bit so my old eyes can read it because I wrote it a few days ago. Okay, if you're familiar with this, then forgive me. If you're not, then uh, I'll do my best to get through this without stumbling around too much. But I think it's this is all about free speech, the attack it's under, and uh, what I think we need to do about it. As anyone with a pulse will know, our right to free speech is under assault. The progressives that are in charge of our institutions of higher learning and government are taking delight in spending vast heaps of treasure to silence and punish anyone who dares defy them by speaking out about the direction they are taking the country and the culture. The evidence is all around us. 
Everywhere we see people belittled and ridiculed if they dare dissent in any area from man-made global warming to gender transition or new methods of education that are failing our children in areas are failing our children in areas such as math. But there is something far more sinister going on. They're taking away our ability to, to insist on the basic fundamental principle any society needs to function in the long term. They're shutting down merit. This principle is the great equalizer. Ask yourself this question. The next time you are on the operating table and about to undergo life-saving but risky surgery, do you want the best surgeon outcome the best surgeon outcome-based education can provide or the best surgeon that merit can find? Or if your if your apartment building is on fire and you need rescuing from the 8th floor, do you want the biggest burliest fireman that affirmative affirmative action can provide or do you want the biggest brawniest fireman that merit produces? When you give that some thought, the answer is completely obvious. In times like those, gender, sexual preference, color, race, creed, or religion don't mean a damn. But in our leftist world, they all play a role in who wields the knife above your heart or climbs the ladder to carry your unconscious but very much alive body down the ladder. In every aspect of life, from law to the courts to airline crews and even, dare I say it, politics, merit makes sure <clears throat> that all of us are served by the very best people for the job. This is why freedom of speech and the principles of merited defense are both under assault. It is why when you try to engage progressives and they run out of talking points and Marxist cliches, they resort to violence. First, the verbal kind. Then when that doesn't work, the physical variety. This is why groups like Black Lives Matter and Antifa are so in your face and ready to carry out any act up to and including rioting and insurrection to intimidate people into be meeting their over-the-moon demands. They cannot win in the areas of ideas, so they take their fight to the streets, literally. My friends, we are war. I mean that in every sense of the word. It is not a war that will be fought like any other war, because like all the wars before it, it is unlike any other war. But a war, it surely is. Its weapons are not rifles, tanks, planes, or ships, but instead they are protests on the streets, a growing sense of outrage at town hall meetings that are mere, that are mere formalities with outcomes predetermined and conversations over the back of backyard fence or kitchen tables all over this land. We can no longer afford the luxury of not wanting to get into it with Uncle Fred. We can't avoid the uncomfortable dialogue with friends, neighbors, relatives, and local officials. If we love our country and all it represents, we simply must engage wherever the fight presents itself, and we must take up the gauntlet and, being polite and tactful, accept the challenge and dive into the fight. It is my firmly held belief that Canada and everything it represents is under a dark threat, as dark a threat as it, as it has ever been. Will we dishonor the memory of those who paid the ultimate price to give us the, this great land, or will we take up our quarrel with the foe and put on our philosophical armor and sharpen our intellectual weapons to meet the enemy head-on? I can only speak for myself, but I choose to engage and fight that old battle fight with that old battle cry ringing in my ears. On this battlefield, there are no rusty swords. So I thought I'd share that with you because if you haven't already read it, um, it's you know. I'm, it's not the it's not Churchillian in any in any sense. Uh, I'm not trying to paint myself as some great orator, but I think it captures the heart of 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 um, the frustration a lot of people feel, and also they want to um, 
you know, what to do about it. Well, the time has come, I believe, that we need to stop just pointing at the other guy and going, you're terrible, you're terrible, you're terrible. Yeah, we know that. You know, but what are we going to do? Are you willing, as an example, to get involved politically? And I look, I understand the fact that a lot of people are just fed up to their eyeballs with politics. Okay, I get it. I understand. I can see why. But what good does that do in the long run? You still have to live here. You still have to pay taxes. You cannot run away from it. It will not go away just because you wish it would. The only way to change this is for you, and I mean you, yes, you, to get involved. It doesn't have to be with a political party. It can be things like going to a town hall meeting. The most terrifying thing, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, the most terrifying thing that a city councilor, town councilor, or school trustee will ever go through is for a citizen to sit at the back of the council chambers quietly taking notes because they don't know what you're writing down. You could be writing down the recipe for, for carrot cake. You could be doing a crossword puzzle. You could be keeping notes on what they're saying, and that drives them nuts. They can't stand that because they have a lot to be worried about. So this is why I'm saying that we need to step up and step forward and take this seriously because if we don't, nobody else will. That wraps it up for me tonight, folks. Thank you all very much. It's been an entertaining show. I certainly hope that you enjoyed it. I certainly know I did. Um, with that, I'll bow out, and uh, we'll see you all again next week. In the meantime, we'll be Caritas at Amor. They are CBS. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. Of all the money that e'er I had, I spent it in good company. And all the harm I've ever done, alas, it was to none but me. And all I've done for want of wit to So fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be to you all. So fill to me the parting glass and drink a health whatever befalls. Then gently. Rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Of all the comrades that it I had, they're sorry for my going away. And all the sweethearts that e'er I had, they'd wish me one more day. But since it fell into my lot, 
Ein Jam.